Clancy Pasta presents. I was an apartment building inspector for nine years. Here's one of my stories. Written by Forgotten Collector. Out of the dozen or so properties I help inspect, there wasn't a single building I dreaded more than this place. It had been well over two years since I'd been called to the Hollyway apartment. It was an old, sort of refurbished three-story building deep in western downtown, among the other derelict, half-abandoned high-rises. It was a somewhat urgent call from the manager of that property. A tenant had skipped out on rent for the month and refused to answer his phone, email, or just the door. Apparently he changed the lock at some point or added a new one on. Either way, the manager couldn't get in and the neighbors have filed complaints. Smell complaints, noise complaints, even from the tenants above and below him on the first and third floor had something to say. Like always, the manager didn't want to get the police involved yet, so me and another inspector got called in to deal with it and to see if the police were necessary. I've worked with the guy before. George was his name. I could already make out his distinguishable blue Camry parked beside the towering building. This building was old, one of our oldest. Light tan brickwork covered most of the building, coated in decades of dark water stains emanating from each window or gutter. Barely six o'clock, and already the sun was well behind the horizon. In the looming darkness, I could see each window above, the interior lights silhouetting whatever unique makeshift curtains the tenants had put up. Mostly the easily recognizable dip shape of a thin bedsheet held up with thumbtacks. I had parked across from George. The stocky balding man was waiting in the driver's seat leaning deep into his phone before realizing I'd shown up. About time you showed up, he said in his usual agitated nervousness. Six o'clock traffic, terrible this side of town. Yeah, well, at least we won't have to deal with it after we get this over with. He finished typing something on his phone before pocketing it. Why are we even down here? Don't they call the police for these kinds of things? George said as we made our way to the building's main entrance. The original coloring on the surface level walls was hardly discernible anymore, caked in a dark brown soot. I already asked about it, and the manager is clear he doesn't want police involved if he can help it, I said. Oh, so we work for this guy now? Look, we just gotta ask a few questions, crack open the door, figure out what happened. Guy probably just ditched town. You know the types who live in these places. Oh, and what about the smell then? They told you about the complaints, right? Even the people on the third floor were complaining about the smells? The noises. Manager said they stopped a few days ago. Besides, if it's anything other than a month's worth of rotting food, then we'll have every reason to call the cops no matter what this guy says. We made it to the front door. The awning was tattered and stained. One of the doors had spray-painted utility markings covering the glass and was obviously in no state to open. Both sides of the double glass door were dark and clouded, and the inside wasn't much better. Unlike a lot of other low-income apartments, 
this one actually had a lobby. An underused relic of its past, but still a lobby. The original ceiling had been replaced with drop tiles, covered in dark water stains, some of them missing or knocked out of place. Furniture had been taken out, but dark spots stained the vinyl flooring where they sat for God knows how long. A single light was turned on throughout the entire lobby floor, in the back office beyond the reception desk. Donald, the owner of this building, sat hunched over his phone and a stack of papers, looking up at us almost in a fight-or-flight reaction once he heard the front door open. Oh. He took a breath before standing up. You boys are finally here. He reached out, shook both our hands, before frantically searching his desk for something. Ah, here we go. He produced a small piece of paper, handed it to George. That's the apartment number. 2B5. And the numbers of the neighbors who made the complaints on the same floor. When did the complaints start? I asked. The fat man shrugged. You'll have to ask the neighbors. You didn't report the complaints to the office? George said. I don't report complaints to the office. They go straight to the office. Office didn't say anything to me. He continued. Office doesn't care about noise complaints. I only got involved when the smell got bad, but then the smell went away, problem solved. Then he was late with the rent. We both shook our head in impassive agreement. And why haven't you called the police? George asked. I got you guys, the office, all that. Why risk lowering the value of this place even more, with more reels of police around here if they don't need to be? You find something that merits the cops, then you tell me, but not a moment before. Donald finished with a raised, dramatic voice as he made his way back down the hall, disappearing into his office. Well, that's that. Let's get started then, I said to George as we made our way to the elevator. It was just as old as the building. A rusted sliding door covered in chipped gray paint creaked open with the sound of scraping metal. A whirring of the elevator's pulley followed, and the doors revealed a small, fluorescent light illuminated compartment lined with chain screen and false wood paneling. The light flickered. Let's take the stairs, George said, turning a 180 to the stairs across, already five steps up by the time I started to follow. We had passed the first floor rooms already. They were somewhat clean, with what appeared to be a coat of paint that was only a few years old instead of a few decades. The second floor was a different story. As we crested the final steps and turned into the second floor hall, a wave passed over us. A wave of thick air, heavy with dust and the smell of mildew and rotting something. George pinched his nose as I rubbed my eyes, the air immediately burning and irritating them. The smell, George said. Could that be the apartment? You'd think they would have complained more if it was all that different from normal. Well, the manager said the smell stopped, so we can assume this is the normal aroma of the place, I guess. George said as we started down the hall. 
A seemingly endless hallway lined with dark and stained red carpet and equally neglected beige walls. Thin wood paneled doors marked every apartment, each chipped and splintered here and there. From a distance, the apartment in question was obvious. A bulging mass stuck out from the base of the doorway, leaning against it like it was trying to get in. A mound of packages. Boxes and puffed envelopes shoved against the door, dusty with some scattered around the carpet, covered in boot prints. So this was the mail they were talking about, George said, kneeling down to inspect one of the damaged packages. What do you mean? In his original message, Donald said that the tenant had a lot of mail piling up at the front, eventually got sick of it and just had the custodians dump it here. Are there dates on any of them? I asked. No, but look at this. George picked up a cheap, chalky cardboard box and showed me the label. It was some kind of foreign language, Chinese, I think. The only thing that was in English on any of the packages was the address of the building. See, this one too. He handed me another, a heavy envelope, this one labeled entirely in Russian. They're all like this. Look, everything. No English labels, no commercial packaging, nothing. George said as he dramatically sifted through the packages, checking as many as he could. You don't think it's... I asked, trying to feel the contents of the envelope without opening it. George looked at me for a second, pondering the possibility of it. No, no one's that stupid. Plus, they're too big, too heavy. Well, maybe we should open one. As me and George considered the idea, a door opened across from us. One of the neighbors, a heavy-set woman with her hair wrapped in a towel with a look of perpetual irritation on her face. Who are you? She snapped. We're with a property owner, taking care of this. I answered while motioning to the packages. How, how damn time someone dealt with this? She yelled as if talking to someone inside her apartment. Were you one of the neighbors who wrote a complaint? George asked, standing up and dusting his jeans off. You're damn right I am, she continued, trailing off onto a tangent about the lazy landlord and the smell. The woman continued shouting before we could get her name. Sandra. She had made the original smell complaint, saying the room smelled like a landfill about two weeks ago, before slowly going away. When we asked if she knew anything about the tenant, all she said was, Probably just a damn crackhead, while shutting the door to her apartment. As this conversation ended, another door opened a few yards the opposite way. An almost skeletal figure peered out from a dimly lit apartment. Shifting lights from her TV silhouetted a frail old woman, shrouding her in a thin veil of darkness. Are you here to find Jeremy? She asked, voice hardly louder than the television. What? George asked, stepping a bit closer but keeping his distance. Jeremy, he's been missing for so long now. I hope you police will find him. She spoke with a struggling croak, 
closing the door slowly before either of us could say anything. Somebody's missing? I asked George as he shot a wide-eyed glance at me. She's talking about Jerry Baker. A voice appeared from behind us, an open door where a lanky man leaned against the frame. George and I shared another quick glance as to confirm neither of us heard him open the door. Young, young guy, lives down the hall. Used to visit her often, I think. The stranger said, almost as if he was talking to himself. He stopped showing up about a month ago. Probably just skipped town like this guy did. Oh well. He said, turning back into his apartment without another word. George and I continued to share glances as the man carefully clicked his door shut. Well, guess we've questioned all the neighbors, I said. Great. Can't wait to be back here in a week to solve another case of the missing crackhead, George said as he knelt back down, moving packages out of the doorway. So, are we going to open one of these things or what? He asked me, holding a small box, white label filled with fading Chinese characters. I said nothing, simply motioning for him to go for it. George cut the tape with a small pocket knife carefully pulling the contents out as to not damage anything. A long, skin-colored object sat in a cloudy plastic bag. George squished it a bit before tearing the plastic open and holding out the thing inside. A foot? He said, perplexed. Part of one, I think. George held it closer to me. It obviously wasn't a real foot. It was hard and squishy, and the same time with a bit of shininess. Silicone plastics, some kind of prosthetic or something. George quickly picked up and tore open another package. Same thing. A set of three fake fingers this time. There's no way every single one of these packages is a fake body part, George said, exasperated. Let's just get these packages out of the way and get inside so we can get this thing over with, I said, stopping George from reaching for another package. Right, help me move these, he said, the two of us scooting and kicking the boxes away from the door until it was clear enough. Try the key, I said, and George took the apartment key from his pocket and tried the lock. The lock released. The door opened. The chain stopped it a few inches in. Look out, it's just a chain, I said, slowly pressing my shoulder into the door, pulling out a flathead, and reaching around inside until I could slide the chain lock off the latch. Immediately, a wave of air hit us, air that was different from the musty hallway. A familiar scent of an old dumpster, the light aroma of rotting meat and fresh air, it stunk, but it was fresh air compared to the rest of this place. George and I placed on light breathing respirators before opening the door completely. Inside was confined with oppressive darkness, save for the timid glow of a single street lamp emanating from outside the apartment's only window. An open window. A broken open window.
A gust of cool air passed and the drab curtains fluttered a bit, a sudden billow of freezing air forcing itself into the room. Small shards of broken glass littered the floor, reflecting the light of that street lamp, glittering as I moved into the room. Darkness covered and silhouetted everything. Nothing was identifiable in it. Every inch of table or counter space, every crevice and corner, everything was filled with some ambiguous mass. I slid my boots across the floor, moving anything out of the way while feeling for a light switch. Flick. Nothing. George closed the door as I toyed with the switch, but as the door closed and the light of the hall disappeared, I realized I couldn't see any other lights in the room whatsoever. Not even the small LEDs on a TV or coffee maker. It was completely black, overlain with the weak orange hue of the dying alley lamp just outside the window. Nothing? George asked me. Seems like the power's out, I said, starting to search my pockets for a small flashlight. Well, the manager can't do that. He didn't shut it off. No, but somebody did. I turned the small, weak flashlight on. George pulled his out as well. We should just get the hell out of here and call the cops already, George said, mostly to himself. The flashlight seemed only to illuminate the dust and debris that filled the air around them, a thick, dusty fog filling the whole room, blocking out light and blurring my vision as we started to scan the surroundings. A picture of the room started to form. There were things everywhere. Every inch of counter and table space was filled with wrappers, tools, notes, pictures. The floor was littered with packagings, large black garbage bags shoved into each corner, packing wrapper spilling out of them. Stains covered everything, dark stains. The peeling laminate countertop was caked in a thick layer of something, something dark. Hey, hey, get in here quick, George said from across the room. I switched my gaze over to him. He was staring into another room, maybe the bedroom. Flashlight fixed on something. What is it? George didn't answer. He simply stepped aside, trying not to gag. It was a body. A body that hardly smelled or looked like a body anymore. I'm telling the manager to call the damn cops, George mumbled, ducking back into the kitchen, leaving me to stare at this corpse alone. The dim light and dusty air didn't allow me to get a close enough look at it, but I could tell even from a distance that this body wasn't decayed, it was eaten. Its face was gone only, bone was left of the arms, both legs gone, and it seemed like it was disemboweled, but it looked empty, hollowed out. George made his way back as I started to scan the rest of this room. There were multiple dining tables against the wall, set up like operating tables. Holes cut in the edges where restraints hung, 
a large strap in the upper center where I assume a neck would be. What the hell was this nut job doing in here? And is that him? George quipped, staring at the same table I was, trying not to glimpse the corpse again. The body parts, the prosthetics, I said. You don't think... I looked at George. George was looking at something else, staring at something else. Look at this one, he said, moving to a table at the other end of the room, tipped over, splintered, restraints snapped off. A large stain covered the entire thing, the unmistakable deep red that grew darker towards the center. George moved without saying a word jogging out of the room quickly like he was on to something. Hey, did you talk to the manager? I shouted to him as he left the room. Yeah, yeah, he said he'd call the police, George said, moving up to the broken window, shards cracking beneath his shoes. Holy shit, look at that, he said while looking outside the window down toward the street below. And this, see here? He pointed towards blood on the window's remaining glass. I looked outside the window to see a distinguishable stain across the pavement, dark and dried, but there wasn't a body. George and I moved back into the other room, past the body, inspecting for the certain proof of identity that was on both our minds. Here, look, see. I knew it. How the hell did I know it? George handed me a few pieces of paper, wiping the sweat from his bald spot. That old lady wasn't losing it entirely. The kid went missing, he continued. The pieces of paper were mostly blurry pictures, cheap Polaroids and printouts of this man, all labeled in Sharpie with the name Jeremy. A few of the pictures had a different name on them, despite being the same man. They were labeled with Matilda. We gotta find this kid. He's probably hurt, I said, George pacing, trying not to look at or disturb the corpse lying just a few feet away. The cops will be here soon, hopefully, probably. Who knows how long they'll take to respond to this stump he said. Exactly. We might be able to find him in time. Who knows how long it's been already. You think it was him who dropped out of the window? Why the hell would he do that if the door isn't locked from inside? George asked himself. Let's just check the rest of the room quickly and we'll go down and find where he could have ended up, I said, quickly scanning across the room. The beige wall where the corpse leaned was stained heavily with smears of blood Dirty operating tools were scattered across the floor. On the other side of the room, there was some kind of workbench, or dresser. Laid on top of it were limbs, wrapped in paper. I could make out two arms, two legs, but they were clean, and I couldn't see any blood. More prosthetics? All right, there's nothing left for us in here. Let's get downstairs before we tamper with any more evidence or whatever the hell you'd call this, George said, already moving towards the front door. 
This is the... George thought for a second. West side of the building, right? I think so, yeah. Then the window he fell from would be on the alley side of the building then, George said as we made our way out of the second floor hallway, down the stairs and into the lobby. I'm not sure how long we were upstairs, but night had fallen now. The lobby was dark, empty. Wind and the sound of distant traffic filled the empty void as we stepped outside, a few street lamps piercing the oppressive darkness and empty roads. The alleyway was long, a narrow stretch set between the apartments and some kind of abandoned office building or warehouse. Both buildings towered three stories high. A single flickering street lamp between the two served to illuminate the alley. On the dark stained concrete we could barely make it out until we were right over it. Dried and dark red, a splatter of blood that could have easily been mistaken for an oil slick. Christ, that's bad. How the hell did he get up from that? George mumbled. And where did he end up at? I said, trailing off, trying to find other bloodstains or markings. Look at this, George said, kneeling beside the concrete curb of the abandoned building. A large bloodstain spread on the concrete like someone dragged a body across it. It became harder to see as it trailed closer to the old steel door, cracked open. We shared a glance as I shined my light over the door, the knob broken and dangling from a single screw. There was an apprehensive look on George's face, and I could feel the sweat on my palms as my fingertips touched the cold metal door. Gently swinging it open, the metal scraping slowly against concrete until it was open enough to get inside. We were met with a stretching dark hallway, debris and old furniture lining the walls, my flashlight barely reaching a few feet in front of me. We could still see marks of blood along the floor and some of the old desks that blocked the hallway, and we could hear something too. Besides the wind outside and the crunch of debris beneath our boots, there was nothing. Complete silence. Not the sound of traffic nor the hum of fluorescent lights. The overwhelming silence only made noises all the more obvious, no matter how quiet the noise was. Did you hear that? I asked, turning towards one of the side rooms that was completely empty. Dust was thicker in that empty room. I swore something emanated from there. A sound, a clacking sound. Hear what? Like something fell, maybe. I turned away, finding the trail again. Just the building, I guess. Maybe there's raccoons or something in here, George mumbled with an unsettling voice. Another sound, loud enough that we could both hear it, both see the dust kick up at the very end of the hall, clacking like something was dragging or tossing a bag of plastic toys. Both of us shined our light down the hall, froze, kept moving, slowly inching our way towards the origin of the noise, the dust cloud that slowly drifted away, 
joining with the rest of the musty, thick air. The blood trail led directly to the noise and into a side room at the end of the hallway. We were about 15 feet away from the door when we heard it again. The clacking, clambering of something. The door was off to the side of the hall, cracked open slightly, the opening facing the end of the room where something laid in the darkness against the wall. Our lights barely penetrated the darkness, but we could see something there. A large, unmoving thing bundled against the wall. The weighted metallic door slid, opening slowly with the push of my foot, my flashlight and gaze not moving from that ambiguous pile. We inched closer, the light began to hit it. Color formed, dirty porcelain white and the bright glossy red of fresh blood. Leaning there against the wall, bunched in on itself, I didn't know what it was at first, but I knew it was humanoid. The light revealed a circular, pure white visage that slouched over what I assumed was a body. It was a body. It was a human torso and a human leg in that pile. The torso was not attached to the leg, it was holding it, holding it with unmoving porcelain silicone arms and hands, plastic legs stitched into the hips of that bleeding man's torso, arms bracketed to the shoulder. The leg it held was not plastic, it was not glossy silicone, it was a person's, and it was covered in bite marks. Its face was there too. That white visage mask was attached to and covering something, but not where a mouth might be. It was dark red, almost black, and dripping. Above the gaping mouth, printed on that dirty white mask, was writing. A single word printed near the forehead. It was too dirty, too small to make out the whole thing, but it started with an M. It did not move. I stepped away from the thing, the shock hitting me, overpowering whatever morbid curiosity I had become overwhelmed with, and George was gone, out. He'd left at some point, and I didn't blame him. I tried to look at that dead thing closer, some sick freak's idea of a joke to play with a dead man's corpse depose him like this. Did the tenant do this, or was this the tenant? Whose body was inside the apartment then? Heavy footsteps behind me snapped me back, and I could see the familiar flashing red and blue lights outside reflecting off the metal door into the dark hallway. George led the pair of officers into the warehouse as I stood waiting outside the doorway, radio chatter echoing through the hall. The thing was gone. The room was empty, completely empty. A blotched red stain against the wall and floor remained, but that thing was gone. Who moved it? I heard the sirens, wanted to make sure they saw this, George said 
his voice trailing off to a halt as he looked into the room, saw its lacking of bodies. The police saw the blood, the markings, and soon after they checked the apartment. They questioned us and let us leave. We answered truthfully and never came within ten miles of that apartment building again. Months passed and the thing finally slipped away from my mind. Until a short newscast reminded me. Reminded me that the man Jeremy Baker was confirmed dead, but still missing. Some of his body parts found in the apartment, but never his body. Never his head. Well, I hope you all enjoyed tonight's narration. It's uh, been quite a while. I've gotten so many messages and comments from people uh, wondering if I'm okay and asking where I've been. And uh, thank you all, everybody who did reach out. I really appreciate it. I'm chugging along. I'm okay. And uh, there are some things on the horizon for this channel. I'm reluctant to say anything because I have a bad track record with following through. (laughs) But uh, I'll, I'll say for myself, I guess, that it seems uh, pretty surefire to me that there is going to be some big, big videos coming up on this channel that I, I sure hope you all enjoy. But we'll get there when we get to it. Um, but huge thanks to tonight's author, Forgotten Collector, for allowing me to narrate their story for my podcast. And I just need to catch up, give a huge thanks to uh, a lot of patrons. And I'm just going to read out a list of $2 and up patrons and then YouTube members as a big thanks because I haven't uploaded in a while. So thank you so much to Aaron S., Shauna M., Tuxedo Catatonic, Jetta G., Home Ghost, Grendel, Starine, Christopher P., Rusty S., Tumultuous Tay, Tara, Lilokino, and Kamarla. I hope I got that right. Ryan T, Michael L, Fullor, Ayrton T, Aplexity, Sarah W, Martin two four eight thousand, The Hookah Fairy, Goober, Gail S, Absinthe Alice, Chris G, Jamie P, Angelo L, Random Pasta, Mike two 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 seven seven seven, Vanessa Todd B, Lisa Jane F. Alleycat36, Jacob D, Evan K, Miss PM, Snake Kate98, Laura M, Lucy J, Tim W, Monica A, Stephen W, Lydia P, Gabriel B, Kelly SS, and Sky Mara R. And for the YouTube members, I have Holidayum Son, like that, Misjudge69, Chimera Moody, I hope I also got that right, Chief Azalin, Eyeless Jack, Gail B, and The Lost Boys. Thank you all so much for supporting me. Uh, it, it's, it helps. I, I don't, do I even need to say how much it helps? It helps immensely. I, I (laughs) thank you all so much for your support. So thank you all so much for sticking around, staying subscribed. If you enjoyed this video, I'd appreciate it if you shared it with a friend or family member. And without further ado, I hope you all have a fantastic night. Cheers.